0: Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast.
1: Yo, yo, dad. What's up? What's up?
0: Nothing much. Recovering from my trip to Cambridge. Um, I didn't get any sleep. I was meeting with people all day, every day. And I am just recovering right now. How about you?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, getting ready for this last week of this for final week's coming up this week. Um, and then, kind of this bittersweet, you know, end of this happy to end of the semester. But this is my first group of, it's my first group of babies going on leaving me, you know, graduating next week. So I'll be at graduation, first group of seniors that you know came up with me since I've been here, and now they'll be leaving next week, going on to do bigger and better things and spread their wings. Um, so yeah, happy this semester's ending and getting ready for the summer, but also sad to see you know a good bunch of my students on their on their way out at the same time.
0: Oh, that's, that's so sweet. I've actually, so a lot of graduations have been happening, I guess over the past week and it's been so like sentimental and just like, oh my God, you know, maybe I'll be next. So, you know, congratulations to all of the graduates, whether you're graduating from community college or with your bachelor's degree or with your master's or your advanced uh, degree or doctorate. Congratulations to you. Big ups. It's great accomplishment.
1: Yeah, big us everybody graduating. A major accomplishment. Now you can put the books aside for a while and get to that next phase of life, whatever it is. For some of you it's going to be continuing on education. Those of you, you completed the last phase getting things like PhDs and master's degree and not looking back. So yeah, major congrats to all of you. Um, I definitely remember that feeling. And just take, a, just take a second to enjoy it too. You know, I think sometimes we forget to do that. You graduate, you do all this work and then you graduate and then you're like okay, what's next? But you know, it's a major accomplishment. So take a few weeks or a little time just to sit, enjoy, be happy, and just uh, bask in your, in your accomplishments. You know, we need to do that.
0: Treat yourself.
1: Treat yourself. <laughs> definitely.
2: <laughs>
0: okay,
1: all right.
2: Um,
1: we got some old Lord news, I'm assuming, ready to go?
2: Of
0: course. Of course we do. Uh, I, this is this, this segment is a special segment that I would like to entitle being black or while <laughs> black because most of these stories are related to just just doing mundane everyday things while black so let's let's get it started all right let's go
1: hello and welcome to bhd news where we give you the most current and eye-opening old oh lord news of the week join us as we present news that'll make you want to say
0: All right. So we got today. OK, so for our first news story, this isn't this is while black, just existing while black. So in South Carolina, authorities say that a South Carolina man thought he was offering five hundred dollars to a hit man to kill his black neighbor. He wanted him to hang his body from a tree and burn a cross on his lawn on his lawn. But he was mistaken. Mm. He was offering $500 to a police officer who arrested him and he is now being charged with murder for hire. Mm,
1: mm, 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 mm. Silly, silly, silly man. Silly man. (laughs)
0: Silly man and just like crazy like so you know how there have been like a lot of just like really weird things happening like you know black people passing and their bodies hanging from certain places so to know that this man wanted to like produce that imagery. Mm -hmm. Of like a a lynching and a burning, like burning crosses. It's just, that's crazy.
1: Very crazy. I think I saw something on social media uh, a few days ago. I didn't look into it, but I saw the headlines where some... So in one of the states, some two two black guys were found hung or lynched or something along those lines. Did you see that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've seen a story, one from a guy in Atlanta. And I think I saw the story that you're referring to. Mm-hmm. But like we're seeing like this more like the lynching imagery mm-hmm. in actual murders or, you know, deaths It's sick.
1: It is very sick and I uh, feel like we're going back in time you know. Mm-hmm. Very, a lot of, mm-hmm. We're pretty crazy.
0: But I'm so happy that his not so smart self was offering that money to a police officer and the black neighbor is safe.
1: Yeah, that's what you get, dummy. <laughs> that's what you
0: get. <laughs> okay, so the next two stories is is while black or the next three stories. This is just things that you do while black that can get you in trouble. So the first is, did you hear about the Yell story? Sleeping in your dormitory
1: while black. Mm -hmm. Again, it saw the headline. Didn't didn't look into it. So I'm interested to hear what happened.
0: (laughs) Okay. So a black college or not college student, a black graduate student who lives in a dormitory, like a graduate dormitory on campus, fell asleep in a common room on her floor. And Mm -hmm. so a white fellow graduate student called the police to say that an quote, unauthorized person was in the common room. The police come, a group of police come and, you know, they're questioning. First of all, they wake up this student and, you know, she explains to them, like, you know, I live here. She even opens her room door for them, but they're still like, we need to see some ID. We need to see that you belong here. Mm -mm hmm. And so, you know, she shows the ID, but for whatever reason, her name was misspelled in the campus system. So, you know, what should have, well, what should never have been a call anyway, but what could have been like a very short call with her opening the door like, see, I live here. What what are you talking about? You know, it turns into like a 15, 25 minute ordeal because they can't find her name in the system, despite the fact that she's showing them her student ID. And it's because her name was misspelled in the system. Mm, mm, mm. And so this has gained a lot of publicity because come to find out this same person had called the police on a black male student who was visiting his friend in that same dorm room. So in February or earlier this year, you know, somebody came to visit their friend on her floor and she called the police on him too.
1: Jesus Oh man, this is again, the world we living in. I know we talked about either last week with the Native American students on the college tour Please get called on them because they were too quiet. Now we have college <laughs> students being in a college campus, in a college building, taking a nap. And now they also feel like they don't belong. I mean, this is like, this is getting out of hand, people. This
0: is getting out it's of hand. It's so crazy. Like, sleeping, that is the most non-threatening thing you can do. And she felt that, like, first of all, like, I, I don't know. I So I lived in a dorm while I was uh, living, you know, on Harvard's campus like before before I moved away. And like, yeah, like sometimes you're tired. Like when I sometimes I wouldn't want to study in my room because I would fall asleep. So I might go to the common room and yeah, I'll nap on the couch. I wish somebody would have called the police on me. That's
1: what I'm saying, man. College, this is what college students do. They take naps. You know, it's like, <laughs> man, this is crazy. This is like, I don't know, man. Like what can, somebody please tell me, you know, what can black people do to make all these white people feel safe? Is there anything? Because clearly, there's nothing we can't even sleep we can't even take naps now without being feel making others feel that we are a threat
0: this is insane. yeah so you you mentioned the story last week with the uh native american uh students on campus being quiet and and that frightened someone mm-hmm. well you will be kind of floored by what happened to Bob Marley's granddaughter or why the police were called on Bob Marley's granddaughter for, get this, checking out of an Airbnb, walking to your car with your suitcases. Did you hear about that?
1: No, I didn't. (laughs) But here we go.
2: (laughs) Here
0: we go. So, um, uh, Bob Marley's granddaughter and a group of other artists, they were in California for um, some type of festival where she was speaking and where also Lauren Hill and a few of the other Marleys were performing. So she was there for business. She rented an Airbnb in Rialto, California, and as she was leaving, uh, a helicopter, a police helicopter, comes to the scene, as well as like a swarm of police officers who began questioning them. They show the police officers their, you know, Airbnb listing and where they had been communicating back and forth. It was on their phone, but still the police officers were like not buying it for whatever reason. And come to find out a neighbor called to, you know, say someone was robbing the place. OK, they're only leaving with suitcases. OK, but was robbing the place. But in a press conference following it, come to find out she called because they did not wave at her.
1: Oh, wow. While walking my to their car. Oh, my goodness gracious. OK. Right. And that that calls for a police helicopter. Okay.
0: Yes. And the crazy thing is, the Airbnb host even blamed the guests for this being called. So she's the Airbnb host said in a press conference if the kids had simply smiled at my neighbor and waved back and acknowledged her and said, We're just Airbnb guests checking out, none of this would have happened. but instead, they were rude, unkind, and not polite. Oh my goodness, man! I
1: can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. No words, no words. Like again, leaving a uh, a building with suitcases, going to a car means burglarizing a unit. One. Not only that, I'm very shocked that. You know, OK, police show up, but a police helicopter shows
0: up a helicopter, a helicopter. And the, the group's lawyers said we don't live in an America where black people are forced to smile at white people to preserve their lives. Thank you. Uh, I have to smile at you or you're going to call the police. Goodness call gracious. Like-
1: if we if people if people don't see that we are turning back the hands of time right now. I mean, this is really, really similar to just like social etiquette laws that were very prevalent during Jim Crow. You know, you couldn't look a white person in the eye. You couldn't, you couldn't, you had to address a sir or a ma'am or whatever it is, step off the sidewalk. All these kind of things are still being used against us. Now saying because you didn't wave to this white person that now you are a threat and we should call the police because you're probably doing something wrong. That's insane, people. But these things are still happening and we can't turn our eyes to it, act like racism and racism. Tendencies and behaviors still don't exist. That's crazy, and, and shame on that. Yeah,
0: host. I, mm-hmm. shame on the host. She said, "The host said when I got off work, I went over and thanked my neighbor for calling the police." Oh my goodness, where was this? What did you say? Airbnb, Rialto, California. I hope Airbnb handled that. Goodness,
1: of course they're probably not going to handle that. What are they going to do? You mm-hmm. know.
0: Mm -hmm. but i read an article where it was just like you know thinking of what you said about like the social norms i just read an article that was like you know white people are weaponizing police against black people for doing everyday Mm -hmm. things and it is it is about it's not even about fear it's about control you do what i think you should do or else i am going to essentially threaten your life because with the way police officers are like killing black people, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I am going to threaten your life because anytime a police officer shows up with guns and helicopters and it's a black person, they, that's a threat.
1: Yeah. And, and, and we need, there has to be something to do to, to done to hold like whether it's these, citizens or police officers, somebody has to be held accountable because if it's just me and I'm going by my daily routine and the police officers are called out of me and one that drastically disrupts my daily routine, uh, that also gets me into a situation where I'm just like psychologically stressed and, and upset, you know what I'm saying? And then, and I think what upsets, even though I know people who have gone through these situations is too, most of the time after the fact, Nothing happens like you're distraught. You're upset. All this just happened. Time is wasted. You can miss a flight. You can miss whatever your whatever your next event is. And nobody's held accountable. Police get to go on their way. Don't even have to say sorry. You see this host saying, oh, they were at wrong still for doing what people do when they leave a building, you know, um, and nobody's held accountable. Like there has to be something, if we can just figure out a way to hold people accountable, then you can get away. Uh, they can't get away with this, you know, ill advisor or this, this perceived threat. That's not really a threat for people doing daily activity. That's crazy, man.
0: Yeah. And so this last story kind of like segues into our topic for today, but in Florida, Oh Lord, to Florida, <laughs> oh, here we in go, Florida, Florida. <laughs> A pregnant Black mother of three was kicked out of her apartment by her landlord because he claimed she did not provide him with an ultrasound photo of her home to indicate that she was pregnant when she signed the lease. Oh, my
1: God. Oh, my God.
0: So according to him, you know, their apartment complex requires pregnant women to indicate you know, at their lease signing that they are pregnant, they want a doctor's note and they also want a picture of the woman's group. But all this was and so there was a nonprofit organization called Hope who focuses on housing discrimination and they actually went undercover and sent a white Latino woman who was, you know, uh pretending to be pregnant, as well as a black woman pretending to be pregnant. And they sent them there. And, you know, despite showing they never the the leasing agent never said, like, I need a doctor's note and an ultrasound. You know, although, you know, they said other things um, asking the black woman, like, has she been arrested and all of these things that they didn't ask the white Latino mm-hmm. woman. But essentially he refused to renew her lease because. He, he later saw that she was pregnant after inspecting her apart, apartment and seeing, like, baby things oh in, the, in the goodness, closet.
1: Man, now you can't be black and pregnant. Like, yo, <laughs> the list just keeps growing.
0: And, yeah, and now this mother, who is seven months pregnant, is looking for housing. Like, literally, she's she's about to pop. And her lease isn't being renewed, and so this is—it's crazy. The stress that she is going through at such a vulnerable time in her life.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, this, this is sad, man. This is sad. But that—that that is a good segue into—not a good segue, but a segue into today's topic, right? Uh, our continuing conversation on mother—motherhood. Um, in particular, and this reminds me of an article that came out last month in April at New York Times when they were um, discussing, you know, these Issues, these real issues, uh, dealing with black motherhood. The title of the article, for those of you interested, is why, why America's black mothers and babies are in a life or death crisis. Um, and you know, this is a continuation. Last week we talked to our mothers and this week we have an OBGYN on to really talk about this from more of a medical perspective to shed some light on the kind of risks that are associated with being, uh, uh having a black pregnancy.
0: Mm hmm. And um, like you said, I'm really excited about today's guest. Her name is Dr. Nicole Sparks. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually taught with her uh, before she went on to be a doctor. She was also a teacher in Atlanta, Georgia. And so she comes at this from like, you know, she's been in the community. She understands the, you know, the struggles that everyday women and mothers and parents face. And now as a physician, she's seeing these things from firsthand the stressors, the the factors that shape Black women's health and Black women's pregnancy. So I am really, and she's also a mother herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just like so many layers to this. So like you said, I'm happy that we were able to have like a fun and lighthearted conversation with our, you know, mothers last week. And I'm happy we can continue the conversation about Black motherhood, but like really delve into the issues that women, Black women are facing. Um, mm-hmm. As they, you know, decide to become mothers.
1: Yeah. And just to give you guys a, a couple of quick stats from this article that I think helps shape this conversation and why we feel it's necessary. Um, according to the article, it says that black infants in America are now more than twice as likely to die as white infants. Okay. Um, a racial disparity that is actually wider than it was in 1850. 15 years before the end of slavery, okay? Um, Mm. Some blame and say that this tragedy of Black infant mortality is really intertwined with another tragedy as well. Again, what we're talking about, um, a crisis of death and near-death experiences in Black mothers themselves. Says that the United States is one of only 13 countries in the world where the rate of maternal uh, mortality, uh, the death of a woman related to pregnancy or childbirth, up to a year the end at the end of pregnancy is now well worse than it was 25 years ago, okay? And even later in the article, it talks about some of the reasons why we see this racial divide between infant and maternal mortality um, have been deba- debated, but more recently, research has begun to show That uh, I'll read explicitly what they said, specifically what they said for black women in America, an inescapable atmosphere of societal and systemic racism can create a kind of toxic physiological Mm -hmm. stress resulting in conditions that include hypertension and preeclampsia that lead directly to higher rates of infant and maternal death. Right. So this is an example of we're seeing racism having really, really adverse effects to the physical bodies of pregnant black women in particular. And we, we discussed about, we have more conversations and discussed this within the interview as well to shed light on this, but this is a crisis that we're having in this current time period. And we definitely want to just help you all be more informed about this topic.
0: I, I agree, I am ready to start this conversation. And like I said, I, I just appreciate um, being able to do it with a black woman, doctor and mother who really cares about this topic, so.
1: not only an expert professionally, but an expert in her own life as well to really shed light on this and really shows, you know, she's doing work that she cares about because she's living it currently, right? All right, so you ready to get into it? Let's get into it.
0: Let's get into it.
1: All right, see y'all later.
0: Statistics indicate that black mothers and infants in the United States are more likely than their white counterparts to die from pregnancy-related causes. Given that this trend remains consistent across all education levels and socioeconomic statuses, some commentators and scholars have attributed the black-white disparity in maternal health outcomes to discrimination and the lived experiences of being both black and a woman in America. Today, we unpack this issue by interviewing Dr. Nicole Sparks, a third-year OBGYN resident in Savannah, Georgia. Dr. Sparks earned her MD from Florida State University College of Medicine, where she served as the president of the Student National Medical Association. Prior to pursuing a career in medicine, Dr. Sparks taught biology, anatomy, and environmental science at an underserved high school in Atlanta, Georgia. In addition to being a women's health physician Dr. Nicole Sparks is also a dedicated wife and mother. Her website Nikki MD, provides insight into medicine and mommyhood and also seeks to motivate and provide advice to other women working to balance family and professional life. Today we welcome Dr. Nicole Sparks.
1: Yes. Well, first off, we want to say thank you for joining us. We're very excited to have you on here and having this very needed conversation, especially in this time period. But the first question we would really like to ask our guests when they come on is just, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself so our listeners can get a feel for who you are and kind of what motivated you to pursue medicine and women's health in particular.
2: Okay. Well, hello, everybody. Like they said, my name is Nicole Sparks. Um, so I am a third year OBGYN resident in Savannah. I have wanted to be a physician since I was was four years old. My mom said i would never wanted to be anything else. And so that was really always the goal. Um, OBGYN really uh, grabbed my attention when I was in my third year of medical school. I just loved being able to help women at every area of their lives, whether they were adolescents or whether they were going through menopause. I just felt like I could be there for them and supporting them, you know, whether they were having babies or losing babies, um, all of that. And so I really just felt drawn to the specialty and I just hadn't looked back. And so I have one more year in my residency and then I'll be able to practice on my own. So I'm really excited. Nice. I know you are excited.
0: I know all about that residency life. We're about to (laughs) finish residency next month and we are very excited. So, just thinking about how busy you are as a resident for our listeners. Dr. Sparks is also a wife and a mother to the most adorable (laughs) little boy ever. I love seeing pictures of him on Facebook. How do you balance being a mom, wife, resident, career woman who's, you know, really making an
2: impact on the world? So I think the biggest thing I had to work on after I became a mother was the mom guilt it was very hard so for those of you who don't know me I me and my husband had been trying for years to get pregnant and I found out I was pregnant my first month of residency so that was great so wow. um <laughs> my boss was delighted to hear that um so my pregnancy was a, a little bit rough during the first year and I'll actually touch on that with some of the future questions but um it. I had a lot of support. My mom actually moved in with us, um, for over a year and my husband, you know, has a normal job. I like to say with normal hours. So he's been a big support, but, um, I think my biggest issue was kind of trying to get rid of the mom guilt. So, you know, sometimes I'm at work, like I operate till 1am and then I'm leave again at 6am. And so, you know, during times like those, I don't see my child, but I think, the support is what helps me balance. When I'm at the hospital for a long time, my husband's good at dropping the baby off for a little bit and letting me say hi to him. Or when I'm on night shift and our schedules are opposite, he drops the baby off and lets me, you know, talk to him for a little bit. But I think when I'm at work, I try to be a really good resident. And when I'm at home, I try to be a really good mom. And so I try not to bring the stress from work home and and vice versa. So, um, people say balance. I don't think I've quite gotten the balance down yet, but I've learned to just really focus on him when I'm at home and when I'm at work, just focus on being a good resident. And that's been working out pretty well for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so I guess along those same lines and, and thinking about being a mom and balancing a career, I know there are a lot of women who are kind of postponing or pushing childbirth back by, you know, what we pass further than what we would typically see. So I know a lot of women are waiting to their mid to late thirties. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that women should consider as they are balancing careers and also potentially postponing motherhood in terms of like health of the mother, health of the baby
2: and et cetera. So it's ultimately up to you, you meaning all you women out there who are listening to, you know, to when you want to have babies, um, there is certainly nothing wrong with waiting, but there are certain risks. And so at the age of 32, which I am now, um, the chances of you getting pregnant with each cycle decreases dramatically from say like a 22 year old. So that's the first thing. And then at age 35, it decreases even further. And then your chance of uh, chromosomal abnormalities like down syndrome and things like that also increase. And by the time you're 40, it's Really increases, and so you do have to balance. You know, you know how far you want to get in your career, but also a family time. And I tell people, it's never really the right time. Like it wasn't the right time my first year, but we did it, and we worked through it, and we're happy, and I don't regret that decision at all. Um, But you definitely have to consider your age. Every year that passes, it gets. Um, more difficult to have a child and your chances of having a child with chromosomal abnormalities increases. And so that's really something to keep in mind to the mothers or future mothers out there who are around the same age that I am, that we are. Um, Just keep that in mind as you're making your decisions.
1: Mm -hmm. Really quick, before I get to the next question on that, when it comes to something like autism, there's been debates as far as what can be the causes of autism and some people have related it or considering it being related. linked to things like vaccinations and stuff like that. Um, but is there a chance that it can also be linked to some of that same things you just talked about with just having, um, I guess, the eggs later in life, stuff like that, the risk of that? Is autism linked to that at all? Is there any studies or research highlighting that being the cause of it potentially?
2: No studies so far that we have read or my cohorts or attendings that have linked autism with age in the mother or waiting later to have kids. So that is not okay. something they really should worry about. Really the number okay. one worry is Down syndrome.
1: Okay. Okay, so moving forward recently, there have been like more conversations about the state of women's health, as we said, and health access and services and the challenges that black women face in particular. Um, So what are your thoughts on this conversation and why is it important to have this conversation? Uh, What are the challenges that women and black women in particular face in regard to kind of accessing uh, women's health services?
2: Oh, goodness. There's just so much to be said about that. So (laughs) so where do I start? Um, so I guess we'll start with some statistics. So um, for anybody who doesn't know, black women are actually three to four times more likely to die from pregnancy related causes. And that's so that's relating to black women dying during their pregnancy or in the year following their pregnancy. Um, if they can link it to something that happened during their pregnancy, that's what they call pregnancy mm. um, related mortality um, than white women. And so Um, they, I would say about 20 years ago, they started having this conversation and now it's just expanded and I'm really happy about it, but there's been so much research and so much, so many studies on why is this, you know, why is there this, this disparity between black women and white women and our, um, perinatal outcomes. So a couple of things have been thrown out there. So some studies will say, um, we'll link it to, Um, socioeconomic status or education and access. And so um, some of them say that black women may present later, um, they'll present closer to the third trimester while some, w- um, while white women will present, um, in the first trimester, um, transportation. So they're not having access to get to their prenatal visits, um, insurance issues. So if the health department doesn't have any prenatal care services, they're just not seeking it and showing up to the hospital late and things like that. But what I found interesting in some of these articles that I read are even when they controlled for things like education and socioeconomic status. So you take a black woman and a white woman and they both have advanced degrees and they're both of equal socioeconomic status. The black woman is still going to have more adverse outcomes. And so I think that's the interesting part of the conversation and what, you know, I've actually done a lot of research on, I say a lot, but what I've been reading on now, because I'm, you know, I'm wondering why. And I talked earlier about, my situation, so me, you know, having an advanced degree, I have a medical degree, I'm pretty healthy, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, you know, anything like that. And even me, I ended up having a you know, very small baby and, you know, had a no fluid towards the end of my pregnancy and ended up having to have a C-section very early, you know, one month before, you know, my baby was five pounds and luckily he didn't have to spend any time at the NICU, but, but there is something, you know, that is obviously different. And so I don't know if you guys read, but the New York Times um, came out with a recent article, which I've been talking about with lots of my cohorts and one of my African-American attendings um, who talked about the process of weathering. So um, this This um, professor, Dr. Arlene Geronimus, so she talked about weathering, which she states um, that there is a toxic stress um, that triggers the premature deterioration of the bodies of African-American women as a consequence of repeated exposure to a climate of discrimination and insults. And I thought that was just so powerful like you know so even when you control for Mm -hmm. things like how much money someone makes or their access to care or how smart they are any of that our outcomes are still worse and so it drives you to think well is there something more that we're just experiencing in everyday life that is weathering our bodies to the point that when we um, come to the point of bearing children that we could follow all the rules and don't smoke and you take your prenatal vitamins and you exercise and all of that and still have worse outcomes than our white counterparts. And that, I think, is a very interesting conversation that really needs to be had.
1: Mm, Yeah, we'll definitely uh, unpack that uh, probably more throughout this conversation. But a quick follow up question, uh, because that I I do think that and I think more studies are beginning to find that think things like racism and discrimination do have these stressors that can impact us, uh black folk just with regard to our health. So I'm wondering, has there been research um looking at this situation with with black women in the US compared to other countries, maybe even other countries where, you know, blacks are the majority and they may not have such things as such as racial oppression and discrimination? Is this like kind of a global effect or is it something we're mainly just seeing Within the context of the U.S.?
2: So it is you can read plenty of studies that say it even on the CDC that of the developed countries, um, the U.S. is doing the worst out of all of them. Mm, So and also in this same New York Times study, which I also found very interesting, is that when they had. mothers who delivered, um, I don't know where it was in Africa, but in but in Africa, their babies actually were the same size as um, some of their white counterparts. When those same people came here and delivered to the US, they actually had um, worse um, prenatal and perinatal outcomes similar to wow. people who had um, lived here all of their lives. So there is something about being black in the US and the double jeopardy of being a a woman and being a black woman that is causing us to have worse outcomes. And so I thought that was very interesting. So there is something going on in the United States. Mm -mm -mm.
0: Mm. So yeah, I I read um, a similar piece and they talked about how it was like this two prong effect. Like, like, like you mentioned, there are these things that are happening before black women get pregnant and while they're getting pregnant that cause these physiological issues with them, and then to top it off, in terms of the racism or bias they may experience when they are being treated by physicians that might exacerbate those outcomes because maybe their claims or their issues are ignored. So I'm thinking about uh, the case of Serena Williams, who when you, when you talked about how this is something that happens across socioeconomic status, Serena Williams was a recent high profile case of having um she gave birth and she uh had a history of like blood clots. She knew this and she knew what to look out for. And she was experiencing shortness of breath um and she tried to tell her doctor, she tried to tell her nurses and they ignored her at first. Like she told them exactly what I need, like I need you to I don't know if it's a CT scan. It was something whatever it is that would <laughs> (laughs) Yeah. And she told them exactly what she needed based on her, you know, past medical history. And for a while, they ignored her. And come to find out, not only did she have a pulmonary embolism, which they had to treat, but when they were performing surgery, they also found that she had like internal bleeding because she had a C section. So she had like internal bleeding and they had to like, uh, they called a a hematoma or something like that. And they had to like, you know, do even more surgery. So it was just kind of like that's scary that she was being ignored. So I guess how how can women deal with that? Like, how can they advocate for themselves within the context of I feel like something is really wrong and I need some help, but maybe I'm not being um, listened to in a way that I think
2: I should be. Right. So. And I love that you brought that up, Daphne, because that's also very important. And there's a lot of articles that kind of talk about that, too, you know, where women, you know, black women in their visits may not be taken as seriously or, you know, when they have when they bring concerns. And again, in the same New York Times article, this young lady who ended up having a very um, bad outcome she presented to the hospital, I mean, to her doctor's office and her blood pressure was elevated, you know, like one forties, um, over 90s. And um, for those you don't know, we worry about that in preeclampsia, you know, which is um, a condition that can happen in your third trimester pregnancy where your blood pressure gets elevated and you get protein in your urine. And it's very dangerous. And again, black woman, um, we know we have this way more than our counterparts. And so she brought this up to her physician and he said, oh, you're just tired. You just need some sleep and really kind of just put it off. And to make a long story short, you know, she ended up presenting to the hospital with headaches, blood pressures in the 160s over 100. Um, And then her baby ended up dying from a placental abruption, which is when the placenta separates from the the uterus. And so um, there's lots of articles that touch on that. And the fact that, you know, we may not be taken seriously when we present our concerns to our physicians. And you really just have to be An advocate for yourself, you know, or bring somebody with you too. But I mean, sometimes the doctors don't take us seriously. And we just have to be forceful and let them know that we know ourselves and so when something's wrong, you know, and the physician might say, it's okay. If you truly feel that something is wrong, you really need to let them know. Don't let them dismiss your concerns and then you end up having a bad outcome. I always tell people it's better to be safe than sorry. And sometimes, you know, our patients will come to the hospital and they're really, really worried and, you know, I'll tell them most of it is okay. You know, this is okay. You'll get better. But if a patient really comes to me and they're really worried, you know, a light bulb goes on in my head and I'm like, hmm, I need to do some more digging, you know. I need to order some more labs or some more imaging but the patient always we tell we tell people that the patient always lets you let you know what's going on and so you really just need to listen to them and we're just in a time where you know doctors unfortunately are so quick to get in and out of the rooms that sometimes we don't take the time to listen to our patients and when we do take the time to do that they're really telling us exactly what they need and in serena's case you know someone who's high profile who you know is of a high socioeconomic status They did ignore her concerns at first, even with her strong history of blood clots. And so I'm glad she came out and said that because I think she kind of helped spark this conversation even more. But if you think that something's wrong, then you need to tell them and you need to be persistent with it, you know, even when they try to blow you off, because, you know, you're you know yourself the best more than anybody. So that's what I would say to that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned preeclampsia and, um, you know, and and there are other issues that black women may face during pregnancy as well, uh, maybe like gestational diabetes and stuff like that. So can you talk a little bit more about what? Those um, issues are right uh, to give our, our yeah. listeners a what they can be. And then also for people who may, who are maybe expected mothers or looking to be pregnant in the near futures, oh, what yeah. would be some um, maybe red flags, right? Or things they should pay attention to who are going through that journey?
2: Okay. So, so some things that um like women disproportionately face. So I talked about preeclampsia again, you know, when your pressures start. So a normal blood pressure, I guess I should define, it's you know 120 over 80. Um any blood pressure that gets above 140 over 90, we start to worry about preeclampsia in the third trimester. And then eclampsia is when you have seizures on top of that. It's pretty much the worst form of preeclampsia. Um some other issues that we disproportionately face are uh, postpartum hemorrhage, so lots of bleeding after delivery, um, infections and blood clots, pulmonary embolisms or, or blood clots in the legs. And so things that you should look for, again, being being an advocate for yourself, you should really know what to look for. And so. Um, Headaches. So, headaches are a big deal. So, if you start to get headaches all of a sudden in your third trimester, um, you definitely want to bring that up to your doctor. If you start to have vision changes, so you start to see like black spots in front of your eyes, um, those are one of the things we worry about with preeclampsia. You should go, if you have any of these symptoms, we always tell people if you don't have a blood pressure cuff at home, you should go check it at, you know, Publix or Walgreens, the fire station. If it's anything over 140 or 90, you should definitely go to a hospital right away. um, If you start having lots of swelling in your feet you're going to swell a lot during pregnancy but if the swelling just becomes really really severe um, that's something you want to bring up to your doctor you start to get pain on your right side sometimes um, the liver can be affected in preeclampsia so those are things that we tell people to look out for if they're having any right pain the top right part of your abdomen um, those are things to look out for um, After delivery, you know, after you have a vaginal or a C-section, if you think your bleeding is too much just because lots of black women die of bleeding afterwards, you need to, even after you go home, you need to bring that up to your doctor. So those are some of the main things, you know, people should look for, Um, you know, especially black women. Like I said, when you know these things and you can bring them up to your doctor, this is part of being an advocate for yourself is knowing what to look for and bringing it up to your physician when you have these concerns.
0: Mm, Thank you for that. So as someone who I'm not currently trying to become pregnant, but as a 32 year old is something I'm thinking about. And I am really just considering like these issues, what I need to look out for, like you said, so that I can be a good patient and I can advocate for myself. It's funny because I already told my husband, I was like, look, after this happens, you need to be doing this, 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 and this. You better be checking this, this, and this (laughs) and making sure I'm okay in that room. (laughs) But um, exactly. So, thinking about what you just said um, in terms of like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, are there things that, expectant mothers can do to stay healthy while pregnancy, while pregnant to potentially lessen these
2: conditions or even prevent them? Of course. So really you want to get it all together Tell people before you even get pregnant. Um, So even before you get pregnant is, you know, it's actually what's really important and so prior to getting pregnant you want to make sure if you're a woman of reproductive age and you even have the chance of becoming pregnant you're already taking your prenatal vitamins because by the time most people realize they're pregnant they're already five six or seven weeks and they haven't taken anything and most of the limbs are formed by ten weeks and so you really want to be doing that beforehand um, things like smoking smoking leads to smaller babies when make sure that you're not smoking um, of course drugs you know these are things that are obvious but you know a lot of our patients still do and i tell them that you know this is going to adversely affect your baby um just eating healthy and exercising and again you don't have to do you know run marathons or you know do crossfit like i used to do but you know just you know simple walking and simple exercises are are all you need and you can actually continue that throughout the pregnancy whatever exercise you're doing for the pregnancy we like you continue it throughout the pregnancy um and make sure your prenatal vitamins have, you know, folic acid. And so, you know, when women don't have enough folate in their diet prior to um, getting pregnant with their babies, it leads to risk of neural tube defects. So, um, I guess in more lay terms, sometimes the skin on the back of the neck or the head or back can be open when when babies deliver and folate actually prevents this from happening. So a lot of the things that we can prevent actually happens before you get pregnant. Now, after getting pregnant, the biggest thing and some articles actually talk about this, you know, that black women are less likely to initiate prenatal care in the first trimester. And so, again, being an advocate for your health, as soon as you find out find out you're pregnant, you need to go ahead and make an appointment and, you know, not wait in all of, you know, and all of that. So, in, you know, initiate prenatal care in the first trimester um, and basically go to all of your visits. People who go to all of their visits are, of course, more likely to have better outcomes because we can catch things early. You know, if your sugars are really high, if your pressures are really high for coming to your visits, you know, we can actually hospitalize you right away. Whereas if you don't come, then we can't do anything about that. So I would say the biggest thing are, is preconceptional care and then initiating Early care in your first trimester.
1: So, yeah, I have another question too, because, um, uh, and this is probably more so when, uh, you know, the woman's actually pregnant. Uh, Me and my wife, we joke about this Mm -hmm. all the time, because I'm like, you know, when you get pregnant, you got to make sure my baby eats. You know, I want to make sure you got enough food for both of you. (laughs) And she's like, no, I'm not about to gain all this weight. I'm only going to gain what's necessary in the healthy range. And I'm just like, you want fries? I got you. You want Cheetos? I got you. I need to make sure my baby (laughs) eats. Uh, but when we talk about this eating for two, uh, what is the truth about that, that situation uh, when, when women are pregnant? <laughs>
2: the truth is that you do not need to eat for two. So I tell women that your baby is going to get what your baby needs. They're like little parasites when they're in there. And so they take everything they need, whether you eat a lot or whether you don't eat a lot. Um, so eat what you want. Eat what's healthy for you. For a normal woman of a normal weight. A 25 to 35 pound weight gain is what's recommended. Um, If you're overweight, it's less than that. If you're underweight, it's more than that. But for most women, we recommend you gain 25 to 35 pounds, um, depending on your starting weight. Um, But you do not need to eat 4,000 calories instead of 2,000. That's not okay. Um, Because if you gain a lot of weight during your pregnancy, then that also leads to um, worse. Worse outcomes for your baby. And so you just, you can eat whatever you were eating before. And that is completely fine. Your baby's going to grow just fine. Your baby's going to eat just fine. So no doubling, no doubling okay. up on the calories is necessary. But if your wife wants the ice okay. cream in the middle of the night, you go get it for her, please.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. I will. <laughs>
0: So I like you said, I've been reading a lot about that lately and I was so surprised to find out that it's kind of like in like the second and third trimester, it's like really only like what, three to 400 extra calories. That's
2: like, that's not even a full meal. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know. People, people are really surprised to find that. out. I mean, they really think that they're eating double, but you're you're really not. You're really just eating a couple hundred (laughs) calories more and that's it. All right. OK, and the baby gets what it needs, I promise you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in in switching gears a little bit, because we want to focus on all issues or aspects of mm-hmm. women health services, mm-hmm. sometimes family. So when we think about family planning, it is the planning of having children. And sometimes it is the planning of having children at the right time, which might include uh, women needing access to uh contraceptives, Mm -hmm. things like birth control, which has been a hot topic lately. Mm -hmm. So, you know, moving beyond wanting to debate whether birth control is good or bad, we want to know, are there some uh, like myths and misconceptions that people should know about birth control or just anything that people or women should know about birth control in general that might be helpful?
2: Hmm. So, I mean, I think there's lots of misconceptions and I tell my patients all the time because they Google everything before they come to me. I'm like, stop Googling, just stop it. Because the the worst things are going to be on the internet. You know, people don't go on the internet when they've had great outcomes. They just go on there when they want to complain. And so when you go on there, you're just going to find, you know, just terrible reviews about everything. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about all of the birth controls. So, you know, there's various ones so you you have the regular oral contraceptives that you take every day which I actually kind of veer away from because lots of people just forget to take them um and then you have kind of the longer acting ones so like the IUDs you know that can last for five years that's the little thing that we put in the uterus and then you have the next which is a little rod that we put in the arm and that lasts for three years um so a lot of people think that a lot of birth control will make you gain weight. There's only one that'll make you gain weight, and that is um, or it increases your appetite. That's Depo. That's the shot that people get every three months. And most people know that that one will make you gain weight. The others are not proven to make you gain weight, um, you know, and a lot of misconception just about, you um, I think just sex overall, like, you know, a lot of people will, you know, say that the withdrawal method will keep you from getting pregnant or breastfeeding will keep you from getting pregnant. And none of these things are 100 percent true. I've had people who've gotten pregnant with with all of those. And so I think the biggest thing about contraception that I want to talk about is that people just need to be correctly informed about it. So, for example, in China, everybody now, again, they're limited to the amount of kids they can have. So they're a little bit different. But everybody has a Mirena IUD. Um, but here, when I try to introduce it to my patients, um, they are very much against it. I mean, you know, they're like, well, my cousin had it and, you know, it fell out or it migrated out to, you know, out to her abdomen. And, you know, and some of these things can happen, but the risk is so, so low. Um, most people are going to do fine. And so I think you just need to really educate yourself or trust your doctors like me who really, you know, and I tell people I have the right now. I love it. And, you know, you can really plan when you want to have a family. And so when we're ready again, I can take it out. You have immediate return of fertility. There is no, your body has to bounce back or any of that. And you can, you know, plan your family the way you want to. So I think people should just be more open to it. Lots of these are safe for you. Um, again, the people that are going to have some, you know, some not so great outcomes are, it's a very, very small percentage of the millions of people who use these contraceptives. And so I think just making sure that you get correctly educated, um, because they're all very good and they all have their place. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I just want to follow up really quickly. Just ask a couple of questions about the pill specifically, because, you know, throughout my life growing up, I've heard many things about that, such as, you know, maybe the pill um, can cause infertility if you're on it too long, or your body needs a break from the birth control or skipping a period is too dangerous. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Say, you know, how true are those if they're true at all?
2: Okay. So with the birth control pills, um, so the, I actually used to hear the same things um, that, you know, if you don't give your body a break and let your body have a period, they're basically saying that, you know, the blood's building up in there and you're just, you know, you're just really messing yourself up for the future. And that's actually not true at all. There are lots of women who simply, you know, for medical reasons, or they are saying, look, I just don't want a period. We put them on continuous birth control pills and um, we take them off and they can have a baby right away. So it's all, it's all dependent on the woman. Everybody's different. There might be someone who comes off their birth control pills and it might take them a whole year to get pregnant. And then there might be someone else who's on those same pills and then they get pregnant the following cycle. Um, it, it, there is no, your mm-hmm. body is going to take, you know, one or two years. The only one that that's actually true for is again, the shot, the depot shot, where sometimes it does take a while for your body to bounce back in order to have a baby after that. As far as the pills, the morena, the next, all of those, you can actually get pregnant right away. Once you stop. That's why I tell people, if you miss a pill, even just one, that's all you need to get pregnant. And so and so all of those myths, they're they're all false. They're all false. It's completely OK for you to take continuous contraception and it's completely OK for you to take it for a long period of time until you're ready to have a baby. And when you stop it, you can still get pregnant the very following month. So, you know, it's every every woman is just different. Just better set that alarm. <laughs> <laughs> set the alarm. I tell them, set that phone alarm. it.
1: Uh, uh, too funny. <laughs> Okay. Well, can I, wait, can I ask another question? Of this to follow up too. There has been more growing conversations, and I think more experimentation with things dealing with like male contraception as well. You know anything about that, or can shed some light on that kind of stuff? Like as far as like birth control with pills and stuff like that, dealing with males.
2: I do not know very much about male contraception because I don't touch a male if I don't have to. (laughs) I've not touched a male since med school. So I actually, the only male contraception I know about is a vasectomy. And, you know, some of them, you know, men will decide to do that when they're completely done having kids. But I do not know much about that area at all. Okay. All right. So what's crazy, and I, I will link
0: an article in our resources, but I read an article where they were trying out a pill, but the guys did not like the side effects, like oh. bloating <laughs> and weight. like Is all, that of, right? all of the things, <laughs> yes. Yes. Like lower sex drive. Like, so all of the side well, effects right. that women experience right. from hormonal birth control, they like stop testing for men because those right. side effects It was too severe for me. (laughs) It was too much. much.
2: See what we have to deal with.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. So I will link that article because I thought it was so interesting. I'm like, yes. <laughs> but they can't make us some better control <laughs> oh, that's too funny. So uh, I guess moving on to a topic, and I don't want this to necessarily be a topic about like pro life or pro choice, but since we are on the subject of women's choices in terms of reproduction, I do want to ask you from a medical standpoint um, what should women consider if they are thinking about potentially terminating a pregnancy? I know there have been, again, lots of recent debates about this. I know Iowa just passed a law that would actually ban a voluntary termination abortion after six weeks. And, you know, some people say they're thinking about the health of huh. the baby. Some, you know, they're thinking about the health of, of the mothers. But moving beyond like a this is right. This is wrong from a medical perspective. Correct. What should women be thinking about if they are considering that option?
2: So if they are considering that option, the biggest thing is to um, to get an ultrasound and decide as soon as you can. Um, because it's going to get more dangerous the later you wait and not picking one side or the other. But as far as safety between the two, um, having a full term pregnancy is actually I don't know the exact statistics, but it's something like seven to ten times more dangerous than having an abortion. And so that's something to really think about. Um, The biggest thing that most of us as obstetricians um, will agree with is that, We want access to safe abortions, so though most of us won't perform them ourselves, we still want to make sure that our patients know where to seek those services out. Um, You know, back in the day, you know, people would, you know, there'd be stuff going on in the alleyways, or people would try to do stuff at home. You know, but in 2018, there are lots of options, and so the biggest thing I have to say about that is just make sure if that's what you're deciding to do, that you decide sooner than later because your options in the states get fewer and fewer and that you choose a, a method and a facility that is safe. And even if your OBGYN will not perform them, um, almost all will refer you to someone who will.
1: Mm-hmm. What can we talk a little bit about the the methods that are available? Because I know there's some people who may not understand this at all or maybe, you know, just never heard of understand what actually happens. Um, So what are the different methods? And I guess I'm sure there's for different trimesters going to be different methods and stuff like that. But can you just shed a little bit more light on on that?
2: I'll shed a little light on the earlier ones. It gets probably more graphic as Mm -hmm. you go into the, you know, further along. But um, if you are very early and you, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, like seven, eight weeks somewhere along there, if you're very early and this is something that you decide, um, there's a couple of methods. So, you know, sometimes we can, there's some medicine that we can place in, um, the vagina or there's some medicine that you can take orally, um, that if you're early along, that this is actually very effective, uh, for you. And like I said, this, these are really people in their first trimester. Um, after you get to your second trimester, it's pretty much going to be, um, surgery. So this means that you're going to the operating room, you're going to be put under general anesthesia. Um, and there's going to be a little, basically a suction device that will, um, kind of, you know, basically get everything that's in your uterus out, um, as you get to the, you know, to late second trimester and even third trimester. Um, like I said, it becomes a little bit more graphic to what I have to do, but it's basically the same thing about having to um, distill the suction to get everything else out. So we come, it becomes a lot more difficult when you're in your third trimester, but first trimester um, there's lots of easy ways, like, you know, like not requiring any surgery um, to where you can have a safe abortion. I would,
0: Yeah, that that. of course. Okay, so I just want to when when that type of thing happens in like later, I have read that it's usually because it's like medically necessary to for the mother, because most states wouldn't
2: allow that. Is 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 that true? Am I correct in that assumption? I, I don't know the rules for every state, but I can speak for us. So usually for anybody, and like I said, I I haven't personally been involved in anything, you know, third trimester, or anything like that. But sometimes, usually it's because, yes, there is some issue with the baby. So the mom might find out, like, um, the baby has, I'm using an example, like anencephaly, which basically the baby's or in lay terms the baby's basically missing a head this baby's not going to make it anyway when the mom delivers and so she might choose at that point I want an elective abortion um, because there's no way this baby's going to live outside of my womb anyway so yes so for a lot of these later ones the mom has found out something terrible something has shown up on ultrasound and you know Sometimes the, the, um, the condition may or may not be compatible with life outside of the womb, and she may make the decision at that time. And, you know, you know, that's very understandable. You know, some people don't want to carry, a, you know, a fetus to term or to late in the third trimester. That's not going to make it anyway. So, yes, that is a reason why a lot of women choose to have later abortions. Okay, thank you. Uh,
0: so let's let's get back to I guess more happy topics. <laughs> yes. So for women who are actually, you know, trying to become pregnant, you mentioned you know being healthy and you know that pregnancy or when you're thinking about pregnancy is something that you should be thinking about way before, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to conceive. So I guess what is some general advice you would have for women who are looking to become pregnant? You know, anything they can do to, you know, increase
2: fertility to, you know, just have the healthiest, baby and pregnancy possible. So, um, like I said, some of the things that I mentioned before and the biggest thing, like I said, if you're any woman of reproductive age, you're uh, 16 to 45 or whatever, I guess it's later now, but, um, you really just need to be taking your prenatal vitamins. Um, you really should be at a healthy weight. Um, you know, a lot of people who are very overweight, you know, they're going to have a more difficult time becoming pregnant, and then you're going to put on more weight as you become pregnant. So get to a weight that's healthy. If you have bad habits like smoking, you should stop. Um, you know, I would say the same thing for drinking. Most people are drinking and they find out they're pregnant and they stop, you know, which is fine too, you know, but, um, I would say just making sure that you're in your best optimal condition, you know, before even trying to get pregnant. And some things that make it easier to get pregnant are if you have regular periods, if your periods come around the same time every month, that usually means that you're ovulating every month. So when you're ready to try, you should be able to get pregnant. Um, about 80% of couples will get pregnant within a year, unless, you know, she she or he has some male or female factor in fertility at which that time you should get worked up. So, if you haven't gotten pregnant after a year and you have regular cycles, you and um, your partner should get worked up. A lot of people think it's just the female, you know, but there could be male factors too. You know, he could not have enough sperm or the sperm that he does have are too slow, you know, and so, you know, they, after a year of trying and nothing happens, you know, they were a battery of tests that we can do to check for both partners. Um, But the biggest thing is just optimizing your health as best as you can prior to becoming pregnant.
0: One other question. Does it matter if uh, in terms of fertility, if women have like shorter versus longer cycles, does that matter at all?
2: What matters the most is that your cycles are regular. So, someone's having a period that's pretty regular, even if it's, you know, three weeks versus five weeks, that's not a big deal. The biggest deal is when someone can go months without having a period, then all of a sudden they're bleeding. That really means that this woman is not having regular cycles and she is going to have a way more difficult time getting pregnant than someone who's getting regular periods every month because someone who's having irregular cycles like that is not ovulating every month. And so, you know, she'll basically have to have sex at the perfect time when she's ovulating, which may be once every couple of months. And so as long as your periods are regular, that's, are mm. regular, um, that's a, a good sign, you know, that, that you can get pregnant. If you have a regular period, you probably need to get that worked up first because you'd probably have a more difficult time getting pregnant.
1: And I've heard, too, uh, when the drinking thing, you know, most people do stop drinking um, when they have pregnancy. But there's some people say having a glass of wine um, every now and then or whatever is not um, going to affect the baby. Is that true?
2: So we don't know if that's true. And we don't ever like to advocate and say that. So technically, this is in my opinion, technically, like I said, all the limbs and everything is formed in the first trimester. So usually if you're not drinking, then it's fine. And technically, um, you know, if you, you want to have a glass of wine or so in your third trimester, it's honestly, it's probably fine. We have no proof of saying what's fine. And we also have no proof of saying this much is fine. Like you can have half a glass and be fine or you can have one glass a day and be fine. So since we can't define an exact number, we just say nothing is fine. But technically, if you had a glass of wine occasionally, would your baby be OK? Probably. Yes. Well, we don't want to tell everybody uh, that because okay. they so just we, all start drinking. So that's not something we tell everybody.
0: Okay. So I was just saying we had a conversation with our moms. And so my mom talked about how she loved greens and green beans when, you know, she was pregnant with me. And I love it now. And Ty's mom <laughs> talked about how she loved chocolate and she Ty loves chocolate. it now. So moms, <laughs> don't be out there like. Right. Right. You know, toss right. them back. Right. <laughs> you can
2: have a wine baby. <laughs> maybe. That's right. That's right. Everything in moderation. Uh, if you choose to do that, just, just do it in moderation. Oh, like uh, you know f- f- super.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no moderation. <laughs> Uh, baby,
0: I want some wine instead of milk. Like, right, ten. right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, in, in terms of like wrapping up, you know, we talked about a, a lot of things, and this has been a very informative conversation. Um, you've talked about issues that Black women face. We talked about disparities across race and across socioeconomic status. But I am particularly interested because you talked about how. Black women, especially those from like more disadvantaged backgrounds, often don't have like prenatal care in that first trimester. And I also read some research that showed that like black mothers are more likely to be uninsured prior to pregnancy and immediately after birth. So I was wondering, are there any resources that women, especially from disadvantaged backgrounds, can seek out in regard to, you know, health services, whether it's prenatal care, whether it's family planning in terms of like birth control, you know, or,
2: you know, post baby care. Um, so I think it's important for women to seek out even, even health departments. So for women who are uninsured, it is very hard. So, you know, like I talked earlier about, you know, they may not have access to transportation or sometimes even myself when I have patients and I'm like, why did you present so late? Like, why is it 22 weeks and you're just here? Well, my Medicaid didn't come through. And so I couldn't see you. Um, so even in things like that, most health departments will still see, you know, still see pregnant women. So at least seek care there. And, you know, if you don't have insurance, you know, everybody can get pregnancy Medicaid. Well, let me not say everybody, but you know, if, if you qualify, you can get pregnancy Medicaid. And so, you know, apply for it early, as soon as you find out you're pregnant and don't wait till the very last minute, you know, and then you're showing up at, you know, 28 or 30 weeks and, you know, we, you've, you've missed all this time with your doctor and problems we could have picked up on. So I think really seeking out the resources in the community and then part of it's on the community to make sure that these resources are known that, you know, women know that they can access these resources to, to help with their care. But, um, in, in terms of that, yes, black women are, you know, more likely to be insured and less likely to have transportation, more likely to show up in the third trimester. Um, and so things like that. And, and these are things they're working on, like in a lot of the things that I'm reading. They're working on building, you know, centers and more um, health departments and health departments that actually can cater to pregnant women, because there are some health departments that will not see pregnant women. Um, and that's some of the issues there. And the same thing for afterwards, going to the health department. So, for example, if you don't have insurance and you want a marina place in our office, it'll cost uh, close to a thousand dollars. And so for people who don't have insurance or don't have Medicaid, I will actually set them up with our local health department who will do it on an income um basis um and they will place the marinas there they'll place the next one there so there's there's always other options so for our moms who can't afford birth control afterwards, we always send them to the health department whether whether place it for free or a very reduced price, depending on how much money is coming into that household. So I think it's part on the physician too and on the patients and other resources that are in the community. And we try to make sure that we know that so I can always direct my patient. If I can't provide them those services for something they can afford, that I can direct them to someone or somewhere that does.
1: Nice. Uh, well, you know, before we head out, is there Anything that you know, I know we covered a lot that you want to say, maybe closing that we 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 didn't (laughs) that we we didn't get a chance to say, or even maybe just some you know advice for the fellas. You know, we're trying to help out our our ladies who are pregnant. You know, things we can do to make their experience a little easier. You know, anything you want to get off your mind before
2: we close. Um, as far as what the fellas can do, I think just just say yes there and do what she wants. I was. (laughs) <laughs> Such a hellion yeah. when I was pregnant. My poor husband. I'm so glad he didn't leave me. But I was, I mean, I was just raging hormones and I just was always mad. I was always hungry. So just say yes there and do what she did and just do what she asked. She's carrying your baby. She has all these hormones going on. She's getting fat. Her feet are swollen. Just just cater to her and she'll turn into a nice she'll revert back to her old self as soon as that baby is out. Okay. Um, <laughs> but as far as for the woman, just again, just advocating for yourself, especially us as black women, um, read up on what's out there. I mean, it's it's crazy, you know, even when you, know, you guys asked me to talk about this and I was you know, reading all these articles, I was just amazed at what I was finding out and how severe the disparity is. It's very bad, especially for us to be in a developed country. So I really feel, I just really want to reiterate that we really just need to be advocates for ourselves and for our health so that we can bring more beautiful black babies into the world. Healthy, healthy babies. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. Healthy ones. Yes. Shout out to this is Mother's Day celebration, but yes, shout out to the dads that are helping the career women to balance it all. You know, like you said, say those yes, yes dears, you know, wake up and get that ice cream and <laughs> whatever
2: else you need to do. <laughs> exactly. The husbands don't get enough credit, but it, without my husband, I would not be able to be successful in residency. So shout out to the husbands. Yeah.
0: I Like I said, I love seeing your family. <laughs> yeah. I love seeing the dynamic. It's just so beautiful. And we thank you thank so you. much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. Like, residents are like crazy oh busy, y'all. So the fact that she made time for us and and she's a mom on top of that thank you so much yes, of thank course you, no, thank you guys
2: you. for having me this is great
0: of course so we will catch you next time Bye. Bye. <laughs>
1: yo yo dad so what you
0: think that was a very good conversation I it was very timely because I know personally as a 32 year old woman it's something that I am thinking about a lot and I'm reading about a lot in terms of like getting pregnant and being pregnant and so to have my own personal and private conversation with uh, OBGYN about things that I should think about and look out for, it was so useful. Um, I particularly liked her wisdom relating to there never being a perfect time because I'm the type of person, I like to plan everything, like this can only happen during a particular time. And as someone who's interested in academia, I read a lot about pregnancy adversely affecting women while they're on the tenure track. So I've been like thinking, like, when should I have a baby? And, you know, when will be like the perfect time? And just hearing her say, there is no perfect time. But if you have a supportive partner, you know, things work out. So that you know it made me maybe relax a little bit more <laughs>
1: yeah. that's good that's good yeah this is um you know I, I really even though you know i can't get pregnant and i'm not a woman i actually really enjoyed this interview uh one of my favorite ones you know we have a lot of great interviews but this one was really good too and i enjoyed it uh, for a lot of reasons but you know like you you know i mean we're in the age range now Uh, I'll be 31 in a month and a half. And, you know, me and my wife are having these conversations about building the family and when's the right time to do so. Um, And just, you know, learning a lot about what black women and the risk that black women have during pregnancy uh, was, you know, eye opening to me. Um, And then also just for me, you know, as a partner to my wife, when that time happens, just. Me being kind of a little bit more extra, you know, aware of these things and paying attention and making sure that, you know, I can help her in any way possible. Because, yes, we want to have I want to have a healthy baby, but I also want my wife to live through this entire process, too. Right. And I think the more we know about it and, and learn about it and the more, you know, we educate ourselves on it, and I do, then I can make sure that, you know, nothing um, terrible happens throughout this process is to the best of my abilities, you know?
0: Well, knowing you, Ty, knowing how much of an advocate you are, child, those doctors better <laughs> watch out because you going to be on it. I, oh, I can't yeah, hurt. Please. Kristen might be telling you to come. Yeah, she might
1: tell me to relax. I'm going to be like, no, what is this? Why is this beeping? You know, I'll be like, <laughs> well, yeah. I got to take this serious, man. You know, my wife and my baby, you know, I know. I know John to be the same way. You got to these things you can't play with.
0: Yeah. Like I, like I said in the interview, I already tell him, I'm like, look, you better be monitoring my blood levels, my <laughs> heart rate monitor, all of that <laughs> stuff. I was just like, because I'm not playing. And so, I mean, that's good. Hopefully, you know, things will work out, um, you know, the way they're supposed to. But I'm told I told him, like, look, tell your friends. Because if especially if we have a child, like wow, you know we're still in Peoria or something like that. Like you gotta tell your friends to be on the extra lookout, <laughs> Just look out for your sister. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, I also I thought that was a good point and something that I want to reiterate to women is about the eating for two thing. And like I said, I have been looking it up and realizing like you're not even supposed to like you can gain zero pounds in your first trimester, like really, you're only supposed to be maintaining. You don't need any extra calories in that first trimester. And then your second and third trimester, like it's like, depending on whether you're overweight or normal weight, it's like a range of like an extra 250 to 400 calories. That's not even a full meal. Like I can get that with like a peanut butter and jelly yeah. sandwich. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> you know what? I was, um, you know, I had to ask the question. I wanted to know that because you and Kristen had that debate. And, you know, I think a part of the reason too, you know, not the fact that she was eating, you know, cause she says the same thing. I mean, Chris, Kristen is a very healthy eater and, you know, eats salads and all that good stuff. Uh, and so I think I was just trying to be a little selfish and get a little excited like, oh, is she pregnant? We about to be eating good. You know? right, yeah. <laughs> you know? And she could be like, no, I'm going to eat what's necessary. I'm going to stay healthy, la, la, la. And so now, you know, I'm pretty sure we're still going to be eating the salad, you know, doing the right thing. But hopefully she gets some cravings, you know, for some French fries or burgers. So we can both, you know. <laughs>
0: Oh my God. First of all, knowing how hell conscious you are, it is so funny to hear you getting excited about <laughs> her potentially stuffing her face.
2: <laughs> oh, man.
0: Uh, you know what? You're going to be carrying the baby too because you're going to be like, mm-hmm, I got a crazy <laughs> ice cream, Kristen. What if- about
1: <laughs> Yeah, I'm going drop to drop these pants. Uh, that's too funny. <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, it was great. It was a great interview um, overall.
0: Yeah, I just think uh the biggest thing I got from the interview is just like pay attention, be aware, be healthy before pregnancy. So, you know, like she said, I'm already about to I'm really bad when it comes to taking vitamins. I'm gonna start taking vitamins now. I have been working out. And, you know, eating right and stuff like that. And it's just something I want to continue. So I thought this was a useful conversation. I hope women, especially millennials who are thinking about these things right now, um, just got something from the interview. And of course, we'll include all of the resources that we mentioned and maybe some articles related to the different issues that came up. Mm -hmm. And I think, too,
1: it's uh, one of the things she briefly touched on and mentioned. And, you know, not that I don't. I just, I just know it's important, and I always feel like what she said as far as, like, before getting pregnant, right, trying to be at a healthy weight, too, um, I think that's important because it just reduced the risk. Or You know, already being overweight has a lot of risk, but then uh, being overweight and trying to have a baby can... Have a lot more potential risk already associated with black women, and you're adding a lot more on top of that. So, you know, for those of you who are thinking about having a baby soon, and may feel like you're a little overweight, let's you know try to get 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 motivated, right? Maybe that could be some motivation to get in the gym and drop some weight, get at a healthy weight, so that when you have this baby, you and you and the baby can be you know optimal health, and, and everything could be taken care of. If you start making that those choices, those better life choices right now, too. I think that's an important thing.
0: I agree. In that New York Times article that she referenced, they actually mentioned that, you know, in addition to racism, which I really appreciated Mm -hmm. that discussion, how like racism has these effects on our health, but also it affects like how we interact with physicians. But I would also like to mention in the New York Times article that she brought up, it also talked about how, these health conditions or the mortality rate among black women it it is also related to you know health in terms of potentially being overweight potentially having like high blood pressure and like all of these things that we may be dealing with and may not know that are only exacerbated further when we become pregnant so but like Ty said no like legit I am on the on a mission to drop like, a good 15, 20 pounds before I, before I even try for a pregnancy. Cause it's like, I don't. I don't want to be twenty pounds overweight and then gain mm-hmm. another twenty five, you know, during pregnancy. Like, no, if I can preemptively lose it, so that when I have the baby, I'm kind of at a normal weight. I, I kinda yeah, wanna and that, all so. and
1: don't and let yeah. me just reiterate this too. It's not just the ladies, fellas. You got to be in shape too, uh, because I've been, I've read some things too when you're talking about like just just as far as like things like she said she briefly mentioned like. Uh, if it may come to things like infertility and stuff like that, it's not always, you know, the fall of the woman. It could be the man, things with sperm count or how active your sperm are and you want to have healthy sperm. So just like, you know, eating healthy, not drinking, uh, working out, being healthy as well will also increase the the odds of you, you know, having a healthy baby and having healthy sperm to make this kind of stuff happen. And it takes up to about three to four months, you know, of you being like clean and being healthy as well. So this is not something that only the women should women should be considered and concerned about men as well. Should be on that same boat. And yeah, both should be going to the gym together and making it happen. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> But yeah, I am so thankful to Dr. Nicole Sparks Sparks, um, Mm. for taking the time uh, because residency is no joke.
1: Motherhood is no joke. So yeah, so this time (laughs) that she took out, y'all should be very appreciative of it to give you this free advice. You know, and uh, it's very valuable. (laughs) And we definitely appreciate her taking up the time to do this. You know, Um, alrighty. As usual, continue to follow us on social media at BHD Podcast. Email us at bhdpodcast at gmail.com. We've been getting emails and we're getting more followers slowly every week. So this is really good. I'd like to see this increase. Um, And also, I've been noticing a lot more engagement. People commenting on some stuff and we're commenting back. So continue to do that. We appreciate it all. Um, And, you know, just continue to listen to us. And as always, continue to be the precious worst fear.
0: If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics and participate in our discussion forums.
1: Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at PhD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.